Hello, and welcome to the R2DP Road to Discovery podcast, ending the stigma of weight loss surgery with Steph, aka Bariatric Warrior, Bex, aka Becoming Bex, Nicole, aka Spooky BSG Barbie, and Cass, aka Queen Sparkle We are here to talk about everything weight loss surgery related, the good, the bad, and the ugly to end the stigma. So come join us on this road to discovery. Hello, welcome R2TV family. We are back. We took a little break last week, but we are here with Heather and so excited to have her. She's not only a bariatric patient herself, but she also is a nurse practitioner that her year tomorrow going into bariatrics. Super exciting. Welcome, Heather. Thank you so much. It's good to be here. So if you want to just start off by, you know, introducing yourself, your Instagram handle, you know, if you feel comfortable talking about, you know, your heaviest weight and how you got to surgery, etc., yeah, absolutely. Um, so my name is Heather Baum. I am a 42, I'm not afraid to say it, year old mom of two. Um, Jake is 20 and Cece is, oh my God, I almost said 16, do a word, 13. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, so my first surgery was actually in 2010. So back then they were one and seven. Um, I was just about to turn 30 and I knew, um, being obese, working in critical care as a nurse that I needed to change my lifestyle. Um, I needed to lose weight. I needed to get healthier to be there for my kids. Um, and so I had of course tried all of the different diets and exercise programs and things. And I would lose like the typical 20, 30 pounds here and there, and then gain it back again. Um, and so I decided to explore the surgical route. Um, back then, even though the sleeve has been around since like the eighties, it was just kind of coming back into favor as one of the more popular surgeries. And I knew I didn't want to go the bypass route. So I went with the band. So I had the realized band placed December of 2010. Um, my highest weight at that time was like 230, I think. I don't really remember. It was so long ago. Um, and I did really well. I lost like 90 pounds uh, with that. I had kept it off for five years. I was getting into personal training and weightlifting um, at the point where I ended up actually having some major issues. So with the band over the five years, I had um, almost daily vomiting. Food would get stuck. Um, major foamies. I mean, like, it just, like, doesn't stop. Um, but also a lot of, of actual, like, vomiting. Um, and a very forceful. It really, like, it, it was very hard to explain, but it's almost like your esophagus. Like, you can feel your esophagus just, like... Um, expanding because it's really forcefully trying to get the food out that's stuck in the band because it can't get it down. That's where the foamies come from is that it's trying to push the food down and there's nowhere for it to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at that point, um, after having like one major vomiting episode, my esophagus basically like 
closed off on itself. Um, I couldn't swallow anything, not even a Tylenol, Mm. um, without it hurting or feeling like there was something stuck in my throat. So I went back to the surgical center, um, and they took all of the fluid out of my band. Now my band was pretty much max full at that time. It took a lot of restriction for me to feel, um, the restriction with the band and, um, when he took all the fluid out, I thought I was having a heart attack just because, uh. you know, it had so tight for so long. I had horrible chest pain when he took it out. Luckily, that didn't last long. Um, and then, um, you know, I didn't have any restriction at all. And um, swallowing was fine. And so I was kind of like, I'm free. I can yeah. see this is awesome. Except then I took it to the other extreme is that like, I totally overate. Um, I was also at that time working full-time in critical care. I worked in a trauma neuro ICU um, and I was working on my master's degree. So I was doing like 80 hours between clinical time and work um, plus didactic time um, with my classes. And so I was extremely busy. I stopped going to the gym. That was the one thing I cut out because of my busy schedule um, because it just wasn't making me a priority anymore. And now that I didn't have that restriction, I really went back to old habits with eating um, and had gained all of the weight back and done some. So my weight had ballooned back up to about 270. Um, and so during that time I did try medication. Um, we didn't have the new GLP ones that we have at this point, um, that are, you know, really adding to the success of bariatrics. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had things like Husimia, which is a brand name for Fentramine and Topiramate, um, you know, a couple other oral medications. I tried the Fentramine Topiramate combo, um, but, um, I I did find on the lower dose lost about 20 pounds, but when they increased the dose, um, the topiramate can make you really foggy. And um, I almost failed an exam and I've never failed an exam in my life. So I was like, no, this is not going to happen. This is like not worth it right now. Um, and so I finished my master's degree. I got a job as a hospitalist um, at the hospital that I was working at. And um, I started having more physical issues. I had horrific plantar fasciitis and Achilles tendonitis at the same time. So I literally could barely walk if I, you know, got up in the morning or if I sat for a little bit, it just, I could hardly get going. Um, I started becoming short of breath. I thought it was my asthma. I was diagnosed with asthma as a kid. I went to a pulmonologist and he's like, yeah, you barely have asthma. He's like, your lungs are just that deconditioned from not exercising and from your obesity. Um, And it was kind of like a wake up call, like, okay, I need to get my health back on the priority list. Can I ask a couple questions about the band before we move on past that? How do they pull one in? Is it like endoscopy or do they actually make an incision? The band? Yeah. How do they put it in? Yeah, so it's um it's surgically placed. So mm-hmm. I had surgery. Um, it was laparoscopic surgery. Um, so there was a larger incision on the right side, kind of sort of under my ribs where the port was placed. Um, and then a couple smaller incisions where then they had put the band around the stomach. So the port's on the right side, the band's around your stomach. 
So then typically they, because of like edema after surgery, they don't put fluid in it right away. Um, and you go back in a few weeks and then they start slowly adding fluid in the office. They give you water to swallow to see if you tolerate the band being inflated. Um, and then you kind of just keep doing that until you hit like a good restriction. So they can remove fluid, they can add fluid. Um, and you know, if I felt like I needed more restriction, they would just add more fluid. Um, the way the surgeon at the time explained it to me was basically because I'm only five foot one. So because I'm a smaller person, <laughs> um, I needed more fluid in my band than maybe someone else. So it was actually overfilled. It was a 10 cc band and I think at 11. Oh, wow. Okay. Is that the yeah. only type of brand of lap band that they do? Um, that was the most popular one that I know mm -hmm. of at that time. There had been an older style lap band that was more rigid, um, and that one was not tolerated very well. So this one was kind of more flexible um, and really loud for a more um, manipulation than, than the older style. Okay. And do you personally know the statistics on post-op complications with lap bands? So at the time, it was pretty popular because the short-term side effects weren't really, you know, that bad. It, it's where the longer-term side effects came into play that was really an issue. So over time, they can slip. Um, so they can ride, you know, up the esophagus. Um, they can erode the oh. um, stomach. Oh, and then it can cause like a structure like I had. So mm -hmm. long term, there are definitely um, well-known side effects. And I don't know of anyone locally that even puts them in anymore. Mm -hmm. And they really try to get them out if they're able to. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, obviously, if you have complications of like an erosion or something like that, that could really potentially limit like future bariatric surgeries. So um, it can be pretty limiting then what your choices are. But it didn't limit hers. <laughs> uh, no, no. So, so, yeah. So this was uh, 2017 when I was working for the hospitalist and kind of tried to get things back on track. Um, so I went back to the surgery center again in like 2018. I was doing a postmaster's and acute care at that time. Um, so I was doing more clinical and working more. So I still hadn't really gotten back to the gym. I was working through the whole like surgical process again. Um, come to find that I was able to actually then fast track, and I wish I would have known it sooner, into getting a conversion to sleep because my band caused complications i was actually able to get in to get the sleeve almost like as soon as we told the insurance that's why i was getting it i was like oh that would have been nice to know a year ago when right. i started the whole process again but that's okay it was a good refresher because it had been a long time since i had my band surgery and you know some things have evolved over time um in bariatrics and so march third of 2020 i had my surgery so literally the week COVID hit is when I actually had my uh. conversion from leave. Yes. <laughs> so just more stress to the situation. Um, I was in the hospital watching the news and watching all of this evolve. Um, I was able to come home and um, I had four weeks off of work and had no idea what I was going back oh to. God. It was so, it was the most stressful four weeks, like trying to recover, but also watching the world fall apart at the same time. Um, when I went back to work, I actually ended up staying, um, in an Airbnb 
so that I didn't come home because I didn't know how safe it was to come home. I was working in the ICU. So after, prior to me getting the conversion, I had actually transitioned from the hospitalist job to neurocritical care, which was really my passion at the time. Um, and so working in critical care and being around the sickest of the sick, I didn't know what to do. Um, so I lived away from home for a month. Um, I would come home to do laundry and like sit in my laundry room with a mask on and wave at my family. Uh, and then I actually lived in our camper for another month after that. And then I was like, you know what, screw it. Everybody else is going home. I'm done with it. <laughs> um, you know, so then I finally moved back in the house. So I'm recovering from surgery, going back to work full time during COVID. So that was very stressful. How is like your uh, energy and like how how did you feel like in all of that chaos while yeah so I knew that if I didn't like quell my anxieties I was gonna have a really hard time you know through this new bariatric journey um and so I found an online support group um that um was run by a a bariatric surgeon who kind of he he retired early to transition into um mindset and education and support for bariatric patients um and so i joined his group which made a world of difference he's like turn off the news stop watching it like there's nothing on there that's going to like help you so just stop watching it Mm -hmm. so I pretty much haven't turned the news back on since. <laughs> um, and it really did help. It really did help because I was like, I didn't, I knew what was happening in my world and, you know, in the hospital that I worked at, I didn't need to really know more than the thing to get through my day to day. And so that really helped with my anxieties. I think um, a lot of the same thing when, when that hit, I think a lot of us just, like we, we watched for a certain amount of time. And then at some point we all kind of figured out this is not helping. Mm-hmm. Turn it off. And I don't, I mean, I don't know about Steph, but I have not turned it back on either. My husband's the one he's like, Oh, did you hear about so-and-so? And I'm like, Nope. Nope. <laughs> I'm done. I don't need, I don't need that stress. Especially mm-hmm. not, especially for you. Like right after having had bariatric surgery, like you just like, you have to learn a whole new way of being, and then you add on this, like, mm-mm, no. Yeah. And that was still stressful, so. Every single one of my post-op visits until, oh, my gosh, I don't even know, maybe my one year. Were they virtual? No, it had to be before that. No, even, so... Four months after my sleeve, I started developing severe reflux. So even those visits were virtual. Oh, I think almost yeah. my whole first year was virtual visits. Yeah. So I didn't even really see my surgeons in person. Yeah. Um, surgery. And now um, I'm about to get surgery and they've removed all the COVID stuff. I don't have to get tested. Nothing. I just mm-hmm. get to go into it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is crazy. It just, it definitely changed a lot, um, kind of changed the way we kind of operate and look at things. And, um, you know, I do thank God that we live in a time where virtual visits are available because had that not been available, I mean, we might've just been swimming on our own without any support. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so, like I said about 
four months into it, I was down. Um, no, I don't even know. I, I don't really remember my weight specifically until I got to like the 18 month mark when I had to go back into surgery, which I'll talk about. So about four months after I started getting severe reflux, like not just heartburn, not just like, oh, maybe I ate a little too much. It was like, if I ate something, it just came back up, not forcefully. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel sick. I didn't vomit. It just literally came back up into my throat. Um, and so of course, you know, we're trying medications. I was on Protonix for years. So, you know, we continued that added carafeet, um, and it just kind of continued and continued. Um, but it continued to get worse and it got to the point where like, I would stop eating at five or six o'clock in the evening and I would sit bolt up in bed at 3 a.m. and it would just come out of my mouth all over the place. Mm -hmm. um, I aspirated a couple times. Um, a couple times I thought it was, I was like, I can see why women think they're having a heart attack when they have severe reflux because your yeah. chest hurts. It is so painful. Yeah. Um, Did you have reflux prior to? No, so I was yeah. on Protonics for, so so I always kind of had this um, like mid epigastric pain that they couldn't really explain. Mm -hmm. My one surgeon thought it was irritation from the port line from my band. Oh, yeah. Um, and then I had a colonoscopy and an EGD in my like mid to late 30s. And it, of course, didn't, it was like in between those two spots. Mm -hmm. So they couldn't so they really just like just keeping taking the protonics because every time I would try yeah. to stop I would get this pain yeah um, so so yeah I never had like actual reflux even though I was on protonics it was like the only thing that made that pain feel better so they just chalked it up to duodenitis so in yeah. an area in a small bowel that they couldn't see <laughs> even though when I had my colonoscopy though the doctor came and he's like wow we could get up really far I was like is that a good thing <laughs> <laughs> weird <laughs> um but yeah they couldn't they couldn't see anything um, i wish so, i wish more well, doctors would tell patients that like if you if you didn't have reflux before yes you could get it if you had mm -hmm. slight reflux before it could either go away or it could become worse and i feel like that's something that most surgeons don't talk about and they also don't do the tests which I wish every single surgeon would do prior to any weight loss surgery, the manometry testing, which I know you also had similar manometry testing. Yeah. So prior to my sleep conversion, I had an EGD because mm -hmm. typically what determines the difference, at least at my clinic, between you getting a sleeve and bypass is if you have inflammatory changes. So if you have a certain degree of inflammatory changes on the EGD indicative of like severe reflux or Barrett's esophagus or something like that, they're going to, they're going to lean you towards a bypass mm -hmm. to kind of prevent the reflux from getting worse with the sleeve. So mine wasn't bad. So it didn't look like I would have an issue. Um, what had ended up happening was um, typically insurances require us to start with a swallow study or an upper GI before we go back to another EGD. Um, and so I had an upper GI and I knew the tech and he, she's like, hey, you want to see this? So I was like, yeah, sure. 
I was like, oh, look, my little banana pouch looks great. She's like, yeah, that looks great. But as soon as we lay you down, 90% of what goes down comes right back up again. Ugh. So my lower esophageal sphincter, the piece of your anatomy that's supposed to close off your stomach to prevent fluid come from coming back up through was open like a geyser. Like it was just wide open. There was no closing. Um, and so after we got the results back from that, that I had severe reflux, we went back for an EGD and this is only not even 18 months after my sleeve. I went from having a normal EGD to having mild inflammatory changes in my esophagus. Um, and I didn't have the manometry test, um, as in like the traditional tube, but we actually use what's called a Bravo capsule. And so a Bravo capsule is, um, by EGD, they attach this esophagus, this esophagus, they attach this capsule to your esophagus. And then I carried a little machine around with me. And every time I would have like symptoms of reflux, you hit a button and it records, um, and it records the pH of what is coming up. Um, and so that hangs on to your lower esophagus for like two days and then, you know, you pass it on through. Um, and when they got that back, um, you know, certain, per, certain numbers tell you the degree of severity of reflux and mine was like off the charts. It was really bad. Um, so literally 18 months to the day after my sleeve, I was back in the OR for conversion to bypass, um, and knock on wood. Thankfully, since then I have not had any reflux. I have not had any issues. Um, other than, you know, the typical, like if I stand up too fast, I get dizzy because now my blood pressure is lower than it's ever been. And I never had high blood pressure to begin with, mm -hmm. um, you know, those types of things, but nothing like really, I, I do have severe dumping syndrome, um, which we can talk about if you guys want to, but, um, other than that, knock on wood, I've not had any issues since, and I'm off the protonics. Awesome. Awesome. Have you, yeah. did you notice your weight drop more? after your last revision? So I got from um, 270 to about 175 after the sleeve. So I did really great from a weight loss perspective with my sleeve. Um, and so the one surgeon, you know, they kind of look at all the percentages and the likelihoods of how much weight you'll lose based on like computer calculations and things. He's like, I kind of predict that you'll get down to maybe like 150 because I was worried about like, okay, I'm going to have bypass surgery. I'm going to have this major malabsorptive surgery. Like, I don't want to like lose another hundred pounds. He's like, mm -hmm. no, 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 that's not how it works. You know, typically there's not a ton of weight loss after revision. Um, but fortunately in 2019 prior to my sleeve, I had started working with a personal trainer at my gym. My sleeve, you know, really taught me um, how to work with my tool as far as fueling my body and hydration and all of those things. And so just continuing those basic habits I have put into place after revision, um, my personal weight goal was 140 and um, I stopped losing weight at 120. So wow. I surpassed my own personal goal. I surpassed my surgeon's, you know, stated goal. Um, and I've been maintaining in the low 120s now for almost a year. Nice. Awesome. That's awesome. So that's really exciting. But it's hard work. It's not easy. No. I, I always say maintenance, maintenance and mindset. Two of the hardest pieces. Maintenance is, and I've been struggling with it, but it is harder than losing weight. 
Yeah, it really can be because it can be so easy to fall back into old habits. Um, You know, maintenance, you know, is to eat as much as you can without gaining weight. You don't don't want to, from a health perspective, from a metabolic perspective, from every other perspective, to be eating, you know, 1200 calories for the rest of your life. Right. Mm-hmm. You want to eat as much as you physically can without actually regaining. Yeah. But that's like, where is that line? Because mm-hmm. also, as we know, you know, we get so used to seeing that skill drop and then just keep dropping. And then suddenly that skill goes like this. And that, like you said, mindset's the hardest. It really messes yeah. with your Yeah, I definitely, I've learned over time, because I mean, now this is my, what, 13th year as a bariatric patient. Um, I've really learned over time to use the scale for my own accountability, but I don't hold myself fast to the scale. I'm like, okay, it went up two pounds. Well, what does that mean? When did I poop last? You know, did I drink enough water yesterday? Did I move enough yesterday? Like, it just kind of keeps me accountable to keep those good habits in place. My big problem prior to surgery was, I always say I was kind of a boredom slash exhaustion eater, Um, maybe somewhat towards the emotional side, but I would just be so tired that I think my brain was like, hey, like you need fuel to get through the rest of your day. Burger King's on the way home. That sounds great. Let's do that every single day. Um, And then like when I was in school and studying, I was constantly snacking while I was studying, um, which now I'm in a PhD program and I have to be really cognizant that I don't fall back into that because I find that when I'm doing schoolwork, I want that crunchy snack next to me again. Yeah. And I mean, you can still have the snack, Mm -hmm. but instead now versus before when you would maybe eat like an entire bag of popcorn or entire you know bag of chips or something now instead you're gonna have you know your small bowl of popcorn with your Mm -hmm. nuts or your cheese string or whatever and you're kind of changing changing the way that you snack not just the fact because like boredom eating emotional eating those are all normal things like our bodies just do that, like exhaustion eating when we're tired. Yeah, your brain says, um, we need fuel. Something's wrong. We need to have more energy. And those are all normal things. Uh, the only reason I say this is because I, I want to make sure that for bariatric patients that we normalize the fact that you're still going to boredom eat. You're mm-hmm. still going to, you know, eat, eat when you're tired. You're still going to eat when you're emotional. And there's nothing wrong with it. The difference is, is how you approach it being aware of it and then being able to say, okay, yeah, so I'm going to sit down and study. I know my brain's going to tell me I need to eat something. So instead of like maybe binging later, which I don't know if you have any binging tendencies, but like, instead of like that binging later, because you didn't eat at all, instead you make a different choice for your snack instead of what you might've wanted originally. You know what I mean? And you kind of, yeah change the, like you said, you, you maintain those habits that you've been working on for 13 years. Yeah. And I've become very intentional too. So I do track, um, I don't track on the weekends and I don't track, like I was just in San Diego. I didn't track while I was gone because I want to enjoy myself too. And I feel like the longer we eat mindfully and intentionally, and we do track the more we can kind of, um, trust ourselves to not track and make good choices. Um, and a lot of that I now tell my patients because as Stephanie had um, kind of said before when we um, 
we're talking prior to the recording, my journey not only transformed my body and my fitness goals and my physical goals, but it also changed my career. Um, in one of my post-op appointments, I had just um, started a health coach program and I just mentioned to my surgeon that I was like, hey, I want to you know, do this health coach program. I want to help other bariatric patients be successful. I want to help other people who have complications like I did um, know that you will be okay and we'll get through this. Um, and he was like, hey, well, not that you want this because you're in critical care and you know you're you love the energy and whatever critical care we have a position that we're approving for our bariatric office um and actually ironically at that time i was like i'm ready to get out of critical care because it's day shift night shift 24 hour shifts like i was just exhausted i, I was doing it for you know almost 20 years and I was like, I'm, I'm ready to move on. So it couldn't have been more perfect timing. So literally tomorrow, a year ago is when I switched to um, my bariatric office and now I'm a nurse practitioner in that office. So I get to have these types of discussions with my patients every day and I love it. Yay. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not a nurse. I'm not medical, but I, my career path and trajectory has changed too because of bariatric surgery because now I'm a personal trainer that works specifically with bariatric patients. So That's awesome. I love that. Bariatrics, you know, I, I, I feel like some people do go into this with the expectation of like, and I know people who have done this, I'm just going to lose weight and then just my life's going to go back to normal, whatever normal for them is. Mm -hmm. And then there's the rest of us who are just like, bariatrics is life. Yeah. <laughs> It really is true. It, it is so true. It is something we need to carry with us every day. I mean, we don't have to carry that label of I'm a bariatric patient every day, but it's always something that we need to have ingrained into what we do every day and the choices that we make. Um, I love that it's a key to personal training. That's awesome. I actually work part-time at my gym too, just because I love it there so much. <laughs> um, and I love just talking to the clients and kind of, you know, inspiring them, I hope with my story. Um, and I love my personal trainer he's fantastic. He's taught me a lot too about balance. And so balancing my macros with my fitness goals and how does, what does that look like? They actually have not the in-body like fancy schmancy thing like some of the centers have, which is super cool, um, but they have a small biometric screening um, uh, machine. And so every month I get to test my lean body mass. So I get to see where my lean body mass is, my body fat percentage, um, it calculates your basal metabolic rate, things like that. So I've really changed from focusing on the scale to focusing on keeping those things stable. Um, and then my, the co-owner, his wife, um, they own the gym together. Um, she was a bodybuilder back in the eighties. She actually won and broke some records last year in a powerlifting competition. I was like, I want to do that. I love <laughs> lifting heavy shit. Like he has helped me so much because in the beginning we did a lot of functional training. So I had a lot of still feet issues and IT band. And, you know, as we lose weight, we start to carry our body differently. So things hurt that didn't hurt before as the other things feel better. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so he really helped me work through that. And then we got into like weightlifting and working on, you know, all of the different um, major muscle groups and all the supporting muscle groups. But then 
in November, I was like, I want to do that. Like, I want to lift that stuff. Um, and so now my program has changed that in November, I will be doing a powerlifting competition. That's awesome. That is awesome. That is so, cool. so exciting. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that you mentioned that, like, things hurt now that didn't hurt before. Your tailbone. Oh, God. But, like, that was something that was never talked about when I entered it. And then all of a sudden, you know, three, four, three, four months in, I'm in so much pain. And I was in, like, I was in constant pain for eight months. I went to PT for months because I couldn't figure out what, what the fuck was wrong. And he was like, uh, you were carrying 400 pounds. Everything was stretched to its maximum. Everything yep. was was carrying you so different and now you've you've changed completely your you know your your uh, posture the way that you hold yourself the way you move everything is different and yep. so we worked and actually that was part of what what brought me into being a personal trainer because I was working with this PT who was phenomenal love him Adam if he ever listens to this which I know he follows me so maybe he'll but um, but he was so receptive and so like excited about helping somebody who had lost that much weight and like really educated me on on how our bodies change with that much weight loss. And then I started realizing that that there really wasn't a lot out there about how our bodies change and adapt and move and how we fuel mm-hmm. after after surgery and how it is so different than someone who hasn't had bariatric surgery. Mm-hmm. And yes, there are plenty of personal trainers out there who work with bariatric patients who are very knowledgeable, um, but it is a little different. You know, when you have been a bariatric patient yourself and then you go into, you know, these types of like coaching positions where you you know more than someone who hasn't had bariatric surgery because right. you've, been, you've experienced it, you know exactly what they're going through. When my clients come to me and say, you know, hey, this is happening, I can be like, yep, I know exactly what that is because mm-hmm. I was there. And I've yeah. been and yeah, I, I do bring it up to every patient that I see in my clinic. You know, I kind of just feel out the conversation. And if it ever heads that direction, I'm like, well, you know, I'm going to tell you honestly, like, I've been there. I've been through this. I know where you're coming from. Let's talk about it. And I feel like that really opens the floor for the patients to be more comfortable to talk honestly and openly. Sometimes I feel like we want to go in and tell the surgeons what they want to hear, but that's not what they need to hear. They need to hear the truth and what you're struggling with and, you know, what questions you have. And, you know, so I really feel like um, so far the response has been wonderful. Yeah. And the surgeons, unfortunately, what they specialize in is the surgery. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Not- Awesome. We do medical and surgical weight loss in my clinic. So I've now been trained to also do the medical weight loss side. Um, So I, um, you know, I do the medical weight loss for patients who haven't had surgery, but patients who do have surgery now, I'm able to incorporate the medications into their regimen um, whenever, you know, it kind of seems to be well suited. Um, we actually also have a pediatric program, so um, we do medical weight loss for peds and um, surgery as young as 15 for obese mm. teenagers, um, which is really cool. And then um, we have a gym in our office. Um, That's that- so cool. 
<laughs> All right, we're moving. We're moving there. They, um, the office had uh, opened right before COVID, so we never got to use the gym space for patients. Um, and so last I knew, they're looking for a physical therapist to come in and teach patients how to get started and how to get started moving um, after surgery. Um, and then we have a classroom that actually has like a full like test kitchen in it. So our nutri- our um, dietitians can do like cooking demos. They do a meal prep class. Like it's, it's an incredible office. I am so yeah. lucky. Yeah, I was gonna say, where is this, and why is not this not everywhere in the country? Right? Like, yeah, most where? of them literally just like thrown out into the colds. I mean, I'm not saying that my my program Blossom was great, you know. Here's a binder. But like, yeah, but here's a binder, and we might call you a handful of times. Yeah, and our um, but like the new surgeon had just retired. And this was his dream, was to build this, like, whole comprehensive center. Um, We have support group once a month that we have um, our in-house psychologist run. Um, I will lead some classes sometimes. The dietitians will do classes. Um, We have, yeah, we have so much available at our fingertips. It's, It's really incredible. Yeah, I'm jealous. So if you're considering bariatric surgery... Go hit up Heather and uh, yeah, go where yeah. she works. <laughs> uh, well, never leave. <laughs> never leave. <laughs> mm-hmm. that, that is amazing. That is really amazing to hear that there are places out there that have that much long-term support. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. We really, so we see, all, we call our patients at two days, four days. We see them at six weeks. We call them at. Oh, wait, we call them at 30. We see, oh my gosh, I'm going to get this all screwed up. Okay. We call them at two days, four days. We see them at two weeks. We call them at 30 days. We see them at six weeks, 12 weeks, six months, a year. And then if you have the DS, we actually see you at 18 months and two years. So, and then it's yearly. Um, so we really keep in close touch. And if you haven't been in in a while, our clinic coordinator calls you, checks in, see how you're doing tries to get you scheduled things like that um because we really want you to be successful long term in your journey um you know i have a lot of people who obviously are afraid to come back especially if they've regained so what i started doing was as early as six months say okay if you need anything in the next six months or you ever think that the scale is going the wrong direction or you're struggling just call me send me a message through the portal We'll talk about it. We'll have you come in if you need to. And we'll kind of just keep getting things moving forward. Because I'd rather help early than late. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think a lot of us, without that much support, are afraid to call in. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, we're worried about that judgment, you know. Um, but, I mean, I'm pretty sure I got, like, you know, I got, I was, I was, there like in Vegas at Blossom for three days and then I got a call at seven days I think I got a call maybe at 30 and then it was pretty much just like check in with your PCP and if there's any problems give us a call and that's about it yeah I'm super I'm super proud of you know the 
the frequency that we check in with our patients to make sure they're okay. You know, we're very attentive to detail and, and I, you know, I, promote to all of our providers that the patients are the best advocate for themselves. No one knows you're their own body better than they do. So just take the time to listen and do your best to figure out what's going on if they're struggling with something. Yeah. Or you could be like me and just call your surgeon every week. <laughs> <laughs> oh, trust me, when I was having severe reflux, I was calling all the time. Yep. This is not working. This is not working. Now this is happening. I'm just like, this is like something needs to give because this, I'm not going to live like this. Yeah. 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 Advocating for yourself is so important. Yes, it is. 100%. Okay. I have a burning question. So Mm -hmm. I start my new job on Monday and I'm hella nervous. You're talking to the person who literally has struggled with eating since. 18 months ago almost um and like how do you because I know you have a busy busy schedule and you are go 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 meal prep and be able to sit there and eat every two to three hours with being a nurse since I'm also a nurse yeah so um I don't meal prep per se I um (laughs) this is kind of funny so I was trying different like pre-packaged meal prep programs because I just don't have the time to be cooking like X amount of meals for the week. Um, And I was trying one program that's pretty popular, but the fat content was so high. I was like, this just is not fitting into my macros like at all. I need to find something else. My sister got a meal prep um, company delivered to her house for her toddler. Nice. Okay. (laughs) And the macros are pretty good. And so I eat kids' meals for lunch every day. <laughs> Basically. Basically. They have like hidden vegetables in them and stuff. So I feel like I'm eating healthier than I am. <laughs> like hidden vegetables in your chicken nuggies. Nice. Or, you know, chef made meal prep meal. <laughs> Whatever works, honestly. Yeah. We all order kids' meals when we go to restaurants and shit. Like, yeah. Like we have a little coupon that we give our patients that says, okay, they can eat off the kids meal because they have bariatric surgery, but the kids meals are crap. It's like mac and cheese, hot dogs, pizza. It's like awful what we feed our kids. I usually just go in and like order sides, side dishes. Like I'm going to get a side of shrimp and a side of broccoli. And then they're like, that's all you want. And I'm like, yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah what I want please you know and then they look at me like I'm weird <laughs> or, or, I order, or I order a regular meal and then split it into two or three depending on the size yeah. mm-hmm. whatever I'll just have leftovers that's fine you know yeah yeah what's going on but mm-hmm. yeah I do home chef meals so I kind of look at you know what's in those meals and find ones that like my whole family would like and the serving sizes of those meals is like insane like i only order two serving sizes and we have leftovers for days like it's crazy the the portion sizes that they give you um so i can kind of save money in getting a smaller portion option but it still lasts us for a while which is nice Nice. so i'll do that so my family doesn't have to eat the kids meals If you had one 
thing of advice for anyone considering bariatric surgery from your experience, what would you say? I would just say, you know, there's so much good information now available out there to just get all of the information and advice. You know, if your office has a support group, go and talk to other patients that have been there and done that. Find an accountability partner, like someone that you can count on that has a surgery that you can talk to, that you can reach out to if you, you know, have any questions or you feel like you're struggling. But also at the same time, just be careful um, of where you get your, your information from. As many of us know, there's lots of misinformation out there too. Like Facebook groups are not always the Oh, best yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, there are some great ones out there because we have a lot of friends in this community that have um, good supportive Facebook pages. But, you know, just be careful to where you get your information from because not all of it is super reliable. Definitely. Don't do pouch resets ever. Oh, yeah. Don't do a pouch reset. They're bullshit. <laughs> it is. I mean, all you're doing is calorie restricting. So why don't you just watch your caloric intake from real food? Yeah. If that's what you're going to do. Yeah. Every time I've, I've like, if I get sick, for example, and can't eat for a few days, there's my pouch reset. Yeah. <laughs> like for the next three weeks or so, mm-hmm. my stomach is smaller. Um, I don't know if anybody else notices that when you wake up in the morning, you can usually eat less food than you can in the evening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And your pouch shrink. So mm-hmm. our, our pouches, our stomachs do that. They they shrink and they expand. And just because you can eat more food or less food, it's like, yeah, mm-mm. you don't yeah. need it. No. No, I know a lot of people, you know, kind of freak out if they can eat more. And I'm like, okay, yes, you can eat more, but what are you eating? Like oh, yeah. watching the density of the food that you're eating is super important. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's it, it's being kind of aware of how you're feeling when you eat. Like I was just in San Diego for five days. I was eating out for every meal, which is not my norm. Fortunately, Starbucks was right across the street, and I love their egg white bites, so that was perfect breakfast for me every day. Um, but I didn't feel well at all because I'm not used to eating out that much. Mm. Um, we were in Little Italy, so it was like pasta galore. Um, it was delicious, all of it, but, um, you know, just knowing like, okay, I need to take a step back and I need to order like the steak and not, you know, the pasta and realizing that like, I'm so out of my routine. Um, so it's kind of just finding that balance between like your routine and finding things that you enjoy too. Since Um, you um, had, you had lap and to sleeve to R and Y bypass, did, was and I know you're were further out in between those than I was. Is your stomach smaller than the average R and Y? Yeah, yeah, because mm-hmm. mine is too. Yeah. My mine is like two and a half inches. Yeah, I don't know how big it actually is. I never really asked. I mean, I guess I could <laughs> easily check that, right? <laughs> um, but I just know, you know, I still maintain restriction. I still get full quickly. Um, I had dumping syndrome with my sleeve, just with ice cream. Like, you know, when you remove a large portion of your stomach, things are going to change. And I definitely did not tolerate dairy well after my sleeve, which is something I hear all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and ice cream, I would just, I would get like instantly sick with. Um, and then after my bypass, that's really pretty much anything with too much sugar, too much sugar, alcohols, erythritol. Um, if I eat too fast, if I eat too much, um, I'm sick and I don't feel well. And it's the whole gamut of symptoms. I can go from just feeling super sleepy to being like diaphoretic and tachycardic and um, nauseous to then everything coming out the other end. Um, and so being really conscientious with those things too is important because especially if you're away from home. Oh yeah. You don't want to accidentally read the wrong thing. Um, oh. go real fast. Yeah. Um, but I, and I'm still learning, you know, finding like a protein bar that I tolerate. There's one brand that I tolerate. I've tried other brands that are popular with bariatric patients and I, I just, I can't do it. I'm very sensitive to the erythritol and the, um, to the, uh, sugar alcohols. It's so, it's so interesting to me how different everybody is because mm -hmm. I can tolerate pretty much anything except excessive caffeine. It's the only thing that makes me full dump. Um, but like if I eat my chicken too fast, I will get foamies for hours mm -hmm. and hours, but I don't dump. I just get the foamies, you know? Yeah. And then I, I can eat sugar. I mean, I feel like shit and I have reactive hypoglycemia. So mm, mm -hmm. fun. So I have to be careful with what I eat. Um, but like I can eat sugar and carbs, no problems. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Everybody's different. And so like yeah. my experience with dumping is different than Steph's experience yeah. with dumping, different than your experience with caffeine, things like that. And it's, it's hard because it's not predictable. So, you know, you just kind of try to work through it. I tell everybody, if you find you're having an issue if you're not tracking your food to track your macros or your calories, at least track it to try to connect to what's making you feel unwell. Yeah, I had more dumping. I had more dumping syndrome with sleeve than I have had with R&Y. My, my bouts of crap doesn't matter if I eat or not, unfortunately, with, with mm -hmm. my, with my new shit I'm going through and diagnosed with. Um, but hey, the antibiotics are working very well. Uh, yes. Really? Yes, they are. Well, I'm on different antibiotics right now because the prior auth got denied for the one I really need. So I'm waiting on the appeal. But no, like I've noticed significant amount of difference in my symptoms other than I'm still getting swell bell, which is real annoying. Yeah, yeah that's I don't. I can't say that I, in the year I've been with bariatrics, I've seen that yet. Yeah, Actually, and they, but... they don't know if it's from, like, the scleroderma. They don't know if it's from mm -hmm. the colitis they don't, and, or the fact that... Because I had this prior to... I got diagnosed with this prior to my revision in December, but then mm -hmm. it was yeah, because of the mesenteric necrosis, yeah. which I know can cause the swelling. And I'm like, hmm, do I still have that too? Like, did did I uh -huh. get like more of that, or is it just a combination of everything? So like, that's the that's the part where it's most annoying. I feel like because it's it's not comfortable. Yeah. Mm -mm. No, I still have my gallbladder and that little creep. Um, <laughs> Take it out. <laughs> I mean, the problem is like it gives issues if I eat red onions, tomatoes, like like acidic things. 
but not all the time, just sometimes. So even when it's acting like a little jerk, if I get a test done, it just sits there and behaves. And Ugh, like, oh, it looks I like hate that. Like he has a colicky gallbladder. Deal with it. I'm like, oh. Well, that's what they told me. They said I had a colicky gallbladder for years. And when, when I finally had my first like gallbladder attack post-op, I was, I literally, and I don't know how this happened, and I'm so grateful that it happened this way, but I went in, I said, these are my symptoms. I had a gallbladder attack. This is what it is. I want it out. And the yeah. guy, went, the guy just went, yep, that's what it is. <laughs> can we have, me. can we have doctors like that? <laughs> right? He oh, just, my gosh. He sat down with me. He listened. He went, yep, that's what it is. Referred me over. I met with the surgeon. The surgeon said, okay, we can take it out next week. And I was like. <laughs> Can we give me two weeks to like, I don't know, tell my boss for a little, for a couple days, you know? And then all of a sudden I get there and it's gone and it's out. It was done. I, I, I actually waited, I think from my first attack, it took me like a full month to get like through the process. And I did have two other attacks after that, but like that, but none of them were as bad as the first one. And like, I... I don't know how I managed to just get it out. Yeah, on occasion, I mean, I get, like, the right-sided pain. It goes around into my shoulder blade. That's when I get visible, like, bloating. Like, I'm like, honey, look at my stomach. He's like, ooh. I'm like, I know. It looks awful. Like, I'm super bloated. Um, But no, no. I had a HIDA scan. Their new thing now is to make you drink a protein shake after you've been NPO to kind of, like, stimulate the gallbladder. That was horrible because I looked at the ingredients. You're like, I'm going to go dump now. I was like, this is full sugar. I was like, I cannot drink this. They want you to drink it as fast as possible to get your gallbladder going. I was like, I can't. I was like, I will throw up. I will get sick. And they're like, no, you need to drink it. I'm like, but I can't drink it. And the court, I mean, it's not her fault. Like she did. I was like, I have dumping syndrome. She just looked at me like, what is that? (laughs) And so I drank as much as I could. And I laid there for 45 minutes while they did the scans. Like, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to (laughs) die. It felt so sick. That was awful. And then, of course, you're not something else. Like, I mean, I think I think they did a um, an ultrasound on me to, like, confirm the diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Um, for the gallbladder and they said yeah it looks colicky and you've got some sludge and I was like great take it out and they were like okay and they just <laughs> did and yeah. then when they took it out like you know when I got the um the report back from the they send it off to get it tested and mm-hmm. get whatever that report's called my brain can't recall the name of it but when I got that back it said like oh yeah like severely inflamed and there there were multiple stones <laughs> You just couldn't see them on the scan. And that's what's like, you can't always see everything on the mm-hmm. scan, but trust that I have these symptoms. Trust yeah. that I'm not fucking bullshitting you saying I want major surgery to have this organ out. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Most, like, most of the time. And I love red onions and I love tomatoes. I was like, they're healthy and I can't eat them Aww. because they kill me. So I still eat them and I just feel like I'm going to die for an hour. <laughs> I think that like leading up to my surgery, I ended up, for the last like three weeks and unfortunately i will say that this is probably what started me back down the road of eating carbs again which i'm not mad about it now but back then i was worried about it mm-hmm. because the only thing i could tolerate was oatmeal oh, oh, interesting wow. and like applesauce my body was nope no meat no fats no nothing no no uh i couldn't do i still i still struggle with uh any sort of vegetable 
like uh, raw veggies. I still oh, start yeah. I am happy that your ultrasound showed that, though, because most of the time when people are having gallbladder symptoms, ultrasound doesn't show shit. CT doesn't show shit. Then they have to go to the HIDA scan, and by then it's like two months later, and you're like, I've been dealing with this. Can you just cut it out of me, please? Yeah, and your body, like, Mm. when when your gallbladders are going bad, your body doesn't know what the fuck's happening. Mm. And you just feel like shit all the time, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Awful. I thankfully had mine out 2019, two years prior to weight loss surgery. But, uh, you know, so when they found after my first revision that I had uh, appendix stones, uh, I basically told him, I was like, so you're going to take my appendix out with this revision, right? Oh, yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> I was like, I don't need another uh, um, issue. Just take it. <laughs> and he oh took gosh. it. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to pause real quick, but then I have another question. So my other question, since literally all of our lovely hosts, co-hosts and hosts here either already had plastics or like Bex are about to have plastics in like two weeks. Are you wanting to have plastics for skin removal? Yeah, so um, I had like a preliminary consultation um, because... I've been working in the same hospital system for 20 years. So I know one of the plastic surgeons, but he only does nicolectomies. He doesn't do cosmetic. Um, and so he was actually, I, it was really cool. He was so impressed with how my skin retracted for having lost 150 pounds. So that made me feel good. Um, but you know, I had two kids, I do C-sections. I do have a decent amount of loose skin on my belly. Um, my thighs, my arms aren't too bad. Um, because I got some guns going on nowadays, <laughs> but yeah, exactly. Um, but yes, eventually. Um, so he referred me back to one of his partners who does cosmetics, but because I wasn't yet 18 months out at the time from my revision, even though it wasn't for further weight loss, he wouldn't see me because their guidelines is you have to be a stable weight for three to six months and be at least 18 months out from your surgery. Huh. Um, but I already started training for the powerlifting competition. I'm like, I don't want to take six weeks or more away from my training to do plastic surgery. So, because like my goal is to compete this year. Um, so my plastic surgery goal is hopefully next year to get that done. Um, I definitely want to get my stomach done first and then get the girls lifted back into where like a proper position yeah yeah <laughs> instead of pointing southward um and then i i really like to get my thighs done probably at some point for sure um but we'll see we'll kind of see what they say what their thoughts are um i'll probably save the arms for last just because like i said i don't have a ton of loose skin there but there is some um it's getting better as i'm lifting heavier so i'm at I'll be almost at a hundred and five pound deadlift soon. So that's super exciting. Wow, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Jealous. My my arms have so much loose skin that no amount of weightlifting. Like I can feel the muscle under there. It's growing. Mm-hmm. You can't see it. It's there's <laughs> just so much. And Yeah, I mean that's crazy too how everybody is so like I I wasn't obese until I was in my 20s um, with my pregnancies. So, like, I wasn't obese as a child or through my teens or early 20s. Um, So, I think the fact that I've spent 
a lesser period of time in my life obese. Um, genetics obviously plays an important role in our skin. Um, and um, my mom's always been in decent shape. So like, I think that definitely plays into it. Um, and then the amount of muscle that you can build does help some, but you know, we lost a lot of fat and you can't fill that all in with muscle. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it, like you said, every single person is going to be so different. And that's, I think what has messed with my head with plastics is the fact that it is so different. I look different than everybody else I look at, but they all look different than everybody else too, you know? So yeah. like I have a decent amount of subcutaneous fat, whereas not everybody else who mm -hmm. has plastics has that much subcutaneous fat hanging around. Yeah. It's funny because when I do tell my patients Hi, that Steph. I've had surgery, they're like, no, you didn't. You don't look hey. like you have bariatrics. Hi. I was like, what am I supposed to look like? I'm like, sorry, I guess. Right? Yeah. There is no one way that you should look or be or anything after bariatrics. Mm -mm. Nope. Steph's had her plastic surgery, and I think she's finished with all of her plastic surgery journey. I know. Never say never. Never say never. Oh, there might be more. <laughs> I'm finished for now. Yes. Right. <laughs> oh, anyways. Oh. Awesome. Well, I would love to hang out for another hour. However, I have statistics homework for my oh. PhD to get to that I really should hop off and work on that yes well we appreciate you <laughs> being here thank you for sharing your story your thank knowledge you and everything and oh what's your Instagram tell the world oh okay so it is balanced underscore bariatric underscore life Alrighty, go give her a follow again lots of lots of good information follow her journey and thank you so much heather for joining us yeah thanks for having me i hope to talk to you guys again soon bye bye heather thank you bye see ya and now we have steph hey aka metamorphous steph on instagram <laughs> how are me. you how are you today I'm good. How are you? I'm I'm good. We're hanging in there. We got Bex on here. Nicole Nicole's healing from her plastics right now, so don't blame her for not being here. And Cass, okay, and Bex having hers coming up soon, right? Nineteen days. Yeah. <laughs> Countdown. She's she's gonna be at my house too. Uh -huh. oh, okay. <laughs> I'm gonna be her nurse. <laughs> I love it. Well, that's perfect. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm terrified, so I'm excited that you're on here because I I mean obviously I've watched you for a long time, but like it's different to actually like have a conversation about that and your journey. Yep. You know how you got here. <laughs> yeah. So, so, Steph, do you want to just introduce yourself? Um, if you're comfortable, share your heaviest weight, what surgery you had. Um, what got you to surgery and then whatever you'd like to share and then we can also talk about your plastics journey. Sure. So um, I had VSG in 2019. Um, I'm short. I'm five foot tall. My starting weight was 233 pounds and I've lost 116 pounds. Woo! So, you know, I'm hovering right around 116, 117, 118 pounds right now. So, yeah, but I'm little, like I said, I'm, you know, 
never compare weights. Uh, you know, I'm also 51. So there's the age thing too. Um, but I had VSG because I have struggled all of my entire life with my weight. I have been on every, I had been on every diet, tried everything, every gimmick, anything you can possibly, I mean, like deal a meal. We're talking because, you know, <laughs> old school diets. Um, I think I went to Weight Watchers when I was 12 for the first time. Same. So, um, and I just, you know, I've lost weight in the past. I had lost um, 80 pounds one time and then gained it all back. And then I lost another like 87 pounds another time and gained it all back. And uh, I'm like, I can't keep doing this. So finally I'm like, okay, that's it. I've had enough. And I started to try to lose weight again on my own. And I like joined CrossFit and I blew my knee out. Uh, I, I did that during CrossFit too. <laughs> yep. So I actually ended up having to have surgery. I had um, an ACL and meniscus repair. Um, and, you know, I was, and then I, you know, being down and I w wasn't able to exercise there went that diet. So I'm like, I need, I need to explore bariatric surgery because my primary care physician who also treated me for, she was also in weight management you know, she had prescribed fentramine to me and done all of that. Um, she recommended, hey, why don't you think about or look into bariatric surgery? I know how, how you struggle. And I'm like, nope, I'm not doing that. You know, I can do this on my own. It's the same story, you know, you probably hear all the time. Mm -hmm. So finally, it took me about, I want to say maybe two or three years after that initial conversation with my primary care um, before I decided that that was what I needed to do. So, and then I did it. I, once I decided I was going to do it, I moved forward, forward with it. Um, it wasn't an easy journey to get to bariatric surgery. I had insurance change during that time. So I had started with one surgeon. I had done all the prerequisites and then I had to start over with a new surgeon and do it some of it again, not all of it, but it was a long process. So I was really ready when I had my surgery. Um, and I said to myself, I am doing this. I'm going to maximize, I'm going to do everything by the book. I'm going to maximize my weight loss. Cause I know when you have bariatric surgery, you really have to, you know, focus for that first like 18 months or so, um, to, to be able to lose as much as you can during that time. So yeah, it took me about 15 months to lose, to get to my goal weight. Um, yeah. And so that's, that's my weight loss story journey. Um, that I can jump into my, uh, to my plastic journey. I decided that I knew when I lost the weight because of previous times when I lost the weight, I had loose skin. So I knew that I was going to have to address it. Um, but in other times, I just hadn't kept it off long enough to be able to have plastic surgery. So um, this time I, you know, I'm like, you know, it's not coming back on. I'm having the surgery. So I maintained for an entire year before I actually um, went forward with the plastics. So, um, yeah, that was a, it was a pretty quick decision. I found my surgeon um, after having consults with three different surgeons in my area. And then I had scheduled a consult with um a surgeon on the west coast but when i found my surgeon i decided to not do the travel route 
I just figured, you know, I found one here that I really like. So yeah, so that's, that's been my, that's been my plastics journey, um, how I got to that point. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think I, I've not like actually maintained this specific weight for a year, but I've maintained this specific weight for, I want to say since like August. So it's been like eight months at this weight for me. But prior to that, for the previous six months, I only lost like 25 pounds total. So I was already like slowing down <laughs> and kind of coming to that plateau and that, that maintenance level. Um, but interesting is that mine, mine, I don't even think he, they asked me how long I had been maintaining. And I okay. wasn't even, I had my consult before I even hit their rec rec required BMI. It was very like, but they were also booking like almost a year out. So I think for them, they were like, you're close. You're going to hit the BMI. It's fine. And once you hit the BMI, as long as you maintain under the BMI, like we're cool with it. We'll book you out. I booked out, I think 11 months from when, cause I booked in May and I'm having surgery following April. So it's been almost a year. Yeah. Um, so I did manage to like spend some time really maintaining my weight, but yeah, for sure. Yeah. And a lot of the, a lot of those pl the plastic surgeons have that time out. So it is good. I mean, to, to people sometimes direct message me, when do I start looking? Well, if you're getting close to goal, start looking because some of the plastic surgeons, you might have to wait six months. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I kind of say the same thing. It's like, if you're, if you're getting close and you're under the BMI and you know, especially I, I've encountered quite a few people who, like myself, never actually met their goal. My goal was 180, and I'm I'm maintaining between 205 and 211, depending on the day. And that's just where my body said it's done. And right. so I often tell people, like, either you're close to goal or your body has told you it's done. Like, that's when you start looking. Yeah. I had no idea what a goal weight should be. My doctor never gave me a goal weight. It was just one, it was like an arbitrary number that I had set for myself. This is where I think I want to be. Right. So did you hit your original goal? Yeah, I hit my goal. Um, I hit my goal and, and then I thought I was done losing. And after plastic surgery, I put on a little bit of weight and, right. then, and then I started, I did um, Manjaro. Um, which I had started in this past October. And then I got down lower than my goal weight because my goal weight was originally was 125. So yeah. again, I'm a little below that now, but I'm okay. Like I feel good at this weight um, yeah. and I'm still within the normal BMI. I mean, I'm still even at the higher range of my, of a normal BMI. So you know how that goes, yeah. you know, I, the, right. you could be 20 pounds less and still be in that range. And no way would I want to be 20 pounds less than where I am. So yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, that's something I think is also important to talk about is not, not only the fact that most bariatric patients have some form of regain, but regain after plastics is it's pretty common. Thing. It's yeah. very common. Yeah. And, and it's something that, you know, your surgeon probably won't tell you because I think they would probably scare people off. Um, right. But yeah, I gained, I, 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 I gained between 10 and 15 pounds. Some of it was not just from the plastic surgery. I started, you know, gaining a little bit on my own, but um, that swelling lasts a really long time. And then some people hold on to inflammation. And I just, I 
think that was part of the problem was just holding on to that inflammation because, um, you know, I, I had swelling in my, from my tummy tuck for a year, an entire year before that resolved. Yeah. And that's, that's also that's something I'm, I'm scared of, but I'm also realizing like, well, I can be scared of the, of the swelling, but I've got so much loose skin as it is now, like it's still going to be better than what it is now. Oh yeah. <laughs> Whatever. But yeah. And then, um, I think you and I had a similar experience with Munjara with the side effects. Yeah. We'll talk a little bit about that. Yeah. But, like, but you actually managed to, to lose weight on it and actually get to your goal weight uh, below it and then maintain. Yeah. Are you still on Munjaro or have no. you transitioned off completely? Transitioned off. And, and it was scary because the first couple weeks afterwards, I started putting on a couple pounds and I was like, Oh my gosh, what's going on here? Cause I, you know, I had, I had gone w- below what I, where I had wanted because I, was nauseous all the time. I was having a hard time eating. So now I'm in a good range, but it was scary because I would, I thought it was just, here we go. You know, it's going to go up and up and up, but I, you know, I was able to kind of level off. So. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I, I didn't share a lot of this on my Instagram, not because I think there's anything wrong with Munjaro. Um, I think it's great. And if it works for people, it works. And all the more power, but I was on it for only three weeks and I was so sick for those three weeks. I was like, I don't want to share this because I don't want to scare anybody off from trying the medication. Right. I was was so sick. I couldn't go to the gym. I could, I had, I felt like I've been hit by a truck and it, and obviously every time you give yourself an injection, it gets worse for a few days. So it's like, right as I started to sort of not feel like shit it was time for the next injection and I got to the the third one and I did it and I felt so awful afterwards I just said I cannot do the fourth I just I can't I can't feeling like that for me was not worth the potential for added weight loss and unfortunately for me I still had 20 pounds to lose and in those three weeks I didn't lose a thing yeah you know, and so obviously the therapeutic level, the, the lowest amount wasn't the right level for me. Maybe I, I would have seen weight loss at a higher level, but I was so sick that I wasn't even willing to try it. I was yeah. not, not even willing to do that. Yeah, the first couple, the first couple of weeks of the lowest dose were rough. And then I think around week three or four, it started getting a little bit better. Yeah. And then the weight loss slowed down. So then they bumped me up to the f- next yeah. one, the five. And then yeah. I was sick again. And I'm like, oh, no. And then around the third or fourth week of that second, uh, you know, higher dose, then I started feeling a little bit better. And I'm like, okay, let me continue. And right. then some weeks I was okay. And some weeks it would hit me so hard. And, you know, then I tried to drop that back down to the 2.5 again. And then my hunger would come back and I'm like, well, let me go back up to the five. So it was like a lot of like back and forth. Yeah. And I just, I don't think everybody reacts great to it. So. Exactly. Exactly. And that's how I felt too. It's like some people, this is going to work great for and be an awesome tool to, you know, get to where they need to be. And then for some of us, I mean, obviously you hit your goal, so you did great. But <laughs> yeah, for some of us, it's not going to be a long-term solution. Yeah. 
It's hard though when that noise that you know um, the food noise comes back. Yeah, it's like it was so peaceful and quiet in that space, and I was like, oh, I love this. Right. It, well, I mean, I felt like such shit. I was like, I can't even like look at food. But yeah, exactly. The the the, the voices were quieter. Yeah. Um, I am curious to see if the people who have the like the quieting of the voices also like me have ADHD. Do you have ADHD? I don't I've never been diagnosed. Yeah. Um, but I suspect that there might be some of that because I cannot concentrate on anything for very long. <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah. And I feel like at least for myself and and you know, for step two, that we do have a lot of, like, not necessarily food voices, but those those voices that, that, like, the brain just never shuts off, and it never stops, and then if you do have the food voice, like, that never goes away. Yeah. But I'm hoping, at least for myself, I'm going to try um, ADHD medication after, after my surgery, like, once I'm healed and feel like I can add something else to my body. <laughs> I'm going to try the ADHD medication and see if it helps quiet some of those same voices. Because for me, I, I eat out of boredom a lot. Like that's a big one. Um, and then of course, you know, I eat when I'm super stressed and I, I eat as like a, the dopamine hit, the need for like, like novelty and stimulation and something to do and something interesting and like it tastes good. Like I'm sitting here eating like dill pickle Oh, I love those. <laughs> um, but you know, I'm hoping that that something like that would still calm those voices, but not necessarily because I don't. I mean, once we've had VSG, like, it's not necessarily that we need more restriction. It's that we need that, like, the voices to just stop telling us to eat all the time, and that, like, especially when you're a few years out, the hunger hormone comes back. Yeah absolutely full on and it's scary it's like is something broken you know is it am I not working right no it, that's that's norm, normal part and that's why we really have to work for the rest of our lives to keep the weight off yep constant battle absolutely yep. from my experience oh sorry oh go ahead Steph <laughs> from my experience since I I got diagnosed with ADHD recently and I actually started on ADHD medication this week I've only taken it three times this week because I'm also on antibiotics and antihistamines and that makes your heart rate go up when you're on them um obviously different person everyone's going to be different like I have my own struggles right now while on the ADHD medication yes I was like is this what it feels like to be normal (laughs) like uh your mind is like clear but Definitely from the aspect of not having a hunger hormone still and having those food struggles of not eating because you're not hungry and then the ADHD medication on top of it, I have to set timers or I will not eat. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something that that Mm -hmm. Steph and I have talked about is like the difference between like my version of ADHD and her version of ADHD. And how, like, for me, like I said, that voice to eat is there constantly. And I also come from an eating disorder background. Yeah. But Steph doesn't. And Steph doesn't have that voice in the same way that I do. And so for her, it's like, 
she has to remember to eat and set timers. And one of my friends is the same way. She has to like set timers to eat because otherwise she'll go through her entire day and then binge she'll at be night. be like, oh, it's 10 hours. Oh, maybe I should eat something. Right? And then she's so hungry that she eats so much food. And then that was what caused her weight gain. And now that she's had VSG, it's the same thing. She has to set the timers, remember to eat because... Otherwise, ADHD, her her type is just has no no desire to eat ever. Yeah, and I'm yeah. you're like constantly needing the stimulation of the food, and it's just it's so very different for every single person. It's just it's bad. It's kind of like bariatric surgery. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like in the morning, like, and I will eat. I you know, in the morning I'm not as hungry, but I will eat because I know I need to. But like. When I, I feel like when I start to eat, then it like triggers something and I want to eat more. But like, if I, if I'm not saying starve myself, if I don't eat, I'm fine. I'm like coasting along. Like if I have my coffee and my protein shake or whatever, I'm coast. But then as soon as I eat, I'm not sure what that is. I probably should explore that with, um, you know, somebody, um, but <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I, I don't know why that is. And, and again, you know definitely have had food issues my entire life so you know that's not something that's going to get cured at all when you have your surgery it just it's just the tool that helps you lose the weight but again you have to keep going and keep keep working on yourself something that we have discussed in our series for people who've had weight loss um you know at a wiser age as i would say um (laughs) What were your generational things growing up? Were you part of the family where it was like, hey, there's starving kids in Africa, finish your plate, TV dinners, type of stuff like that? You know, I don't think I ever, I've always been a chubby kid. And my grandfather, my mom, I lived with my mom and my grandparents when I was very young, and he was a physician. So he would, um, he did not want me to be overweight. And he knew that there was a tendency on my dad's side of the family to have that weight issue. So he would um, restrict food and Mm. he would take things off, take things off of my plate that maybe my mom put on there, or he'd like say, Oh, look over there and take French fries. If we were off my plate. So I think I have a little bit of, you know, the feast or famine, thing going on like I'm scared that I'm not going to have enough food because okay. when I was a child I I was deprived so I think that a lot of my food issues come from that I love my grandfather he met I mean he meant well he yeah, did not definitely. You know, mean to do anything other than to try to keep me healthy how he knew best um but I think a lot of my issues come from that because I find that when I go grocery shopping, I overbuy food. I'm always scared I'm not going to have what I need. And that even stems from like not having enough healthy things. If I don't have enough healthy things, then I'm going to turn to the things I shouldn't be eating. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I find I overbuy. I feel like I overbuy in the sense of like vegetables or produce. And then they go yeah. bad. And I'm like, why did I buy all these things? Yeah. Right. Definitely. And I think in the beginning, navigating the 
it's okay to throw your food that you don't eat away. It's okay to do that. Like it bugged me a lot in the beginning, but then I kind of got over it. I feel like it's like, no, you're, you're done eating. You're not, you're full. Like you don't need to save this two bites of something in the fridge for later. Cause essentially right. you're just eating what you would then before surgery, but yeah. just at a different time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Ugh. It's... I have um, I have four dogs who always are right by my side, so they, <laughs> they always get a treat. Um, and then I also have chickens. You probably see yes. most about. Them. So they love table scraps. Of course, I don't give them chicken, <laughs> but you know, I give them I give them other things. But um, you know, there's no excuse for me to eat what's on my plate because I have other little furry friends that can eat it. Definitely, definitely. Uh... So as far as plastics, if you are comfortable sharing, like what have you had done and in what order? So my first surgery that I wanted to have was my arm lift. Um, I was very lucky and the surgeon that I found said he could do an arm lift and a tummy tuck at the same time because he asked me like in a perfect world, what would you want to have done? And I listed everything. So he helped me come up with a plan and he's like, okay, well, you can do your tummy and your arms at the same time. So that was what my first round was. And then um, my second round was just going to be a thigh lift. And he, again, he's like, is there anything else that you might want? So I'm like, well, I guess I could do a breast lift. You know, I never really considered having um, a breast augmentation, but um, I saw that he did lifts without augmentation, without um, implants. Um, so I'm like, okay, well, if we can do the thighs and the breasts at the same time. So my second round, seven months later was thighs and breasts, breast lift. Okay. Um, and I'm really happy that I did it in those, that order. And I'm really happy that I did the common, those combinations because I've seen people do like thighs and arms at the same time. And I'm like, how do you move? <laughs> how do you, cause I used my arms a lot, you know, I'm trying to get myself up and I had my thigh lift. So I'm like, how do you do that? So I, I'm very happy with the order that I chose nice. to have those surgeries. What would you say was the most difficult one, pain-wise and healing and recovery? So tummy tuck yeah. was um, was the hardest, and and when I say hardest, none of them were super terrible, but the the tummy tuck was like the longest recovery for me. Um, it you know, like I said, it took me about a year to fully recover from that. Um, you know, the arms at the beginning were uncomfortable and there was the lack of mobility. You know, you really can't lift your arms much more than this, um, you know, for the first, I'd say three or four weeks, but, um, the tummy tuck really limited a lot of the activity that I could do and the weight that I wanted to kind of lift certain exercises. I just couldn't do even ones that you don't think would be connected to your core are very much connected to your core, which you'll find out, um, so I think the tummy tuck was the hardest and I, I don't, I'm not saying that that was like as, you know, more painful than my arms or more painful than the thighs. It was just the hardest to recover from. It just took the longest. Mm -hmm. yeah. did, did your surgeon have a restriction on when you were allowed to do core or ab exercises? So he, he released me to go back to the gym at, um, 10 weeks and I started slow. Okay. So, and I started just doing like cardio at first. And then, you know, he's like, you can do weights, just do low weights, you know, five, 10 pounds to start with. And then 
you know, he never really released me to do heavier weights. It was just kind of like when you're feeling, you know, when you do stuff and it feels okay, just keep going. So that's kind of how I did that. Yeah, because one of our one of our other people that we interviewed, Rini, she wasn't allowed to do any ab or core workout, and I think they said for a year because she had muscle oh, wow. repair. But I don't know if that's the difference. Like, if you have muscle repair, that you can't do that. Did you have muscle? I repair? did have muscle repair. Okay. okay. Yeah, I'm not yeah. sure. I, you know, in different plastic surgeons. They have different techniques yeah. too. Yeah. You know, there's like the tummy tuck, tum, uh, the drainless tummy tucks, mm. and there's different kind of suturing that they do with those. So, um, you know, again, if I if I felt anything, I was like, nope, not doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, I felt like little twinges here and there, but I made sure to go really slow when I started back at the gym. I wasn't gonna mess up anything. You know, I didn't want to go back in for surgery. <laughs> no, not at all. If you yeah. could recommend like five things that Bex absolutely needs for her surgery, what would they be? Oh, gosh. Um, well, she... definitely a recliner, which I'm pretty sure you have. Yep, yeah. <laughs> yep the recliner. Um, what, do you, what surgeries are you having? So I'm having the 360 lower body lift, so it's going to go all the way around. Okay. Pull down, pull up. I'm having a mom's lift as well. Um, from what I understand, he will do lipo, especially if it's needed, which it will be for me. Um, and then he also will do muscle repair. And I do have some slight separation above and below my belly button. So while he's in there, I'm sure he's going to fix that. Um, so it's yeah, going to be a lot. So another thing that I would recommend then is, and again, I know you're not, you're doing the arms, but a grabber. I have one. I got okay. one. <laughs> yep. That's, that was something that I used a lot. And I think even without having my, had my arms done, that would have been helpful because like, you know, you're, you're everywhere is sore. Yeah. Ooh, even just a little bit in any direction to reach something. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then like, I've seen Steph have her recovery cart. Oh, yeah. I have a recovery cart for her here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's the exact one I have. Yep. So um, that, that was the same one, basically. Yeah. Is it like Ikea, I think? we. Could... I think mine was like Michael's, but yeah. Yeah, okay, Michael's yeah. has them. Yep. They're probably all the same. Um, yeah. That was really helpful. Um, what else? Lots of gauze and... Um, pads the um it doesn't have to be sanitary pads but like the medical pads yep yeah the non-adherent pad yep because there there's going to be areas that um and again i don't know if he's you know what tape he's using or, or if he's using compression but sometimes there's areas of compression that really like pinch you and i use that kind of as padding okay. that was that was really helpful um what else just, ha- you know, lots of water options. Did you find the toilet seat riser was helpful? No, I got it and I never, I tried it and I couldn't even use it. Yeah, Nicole said she never used it either. Yeah, I've got one just in case. I'm going to bring it because you never know. Um, and if we don't end up using it, we don't end up using it. Maybe somebody else will find it more useful. But yeah. um, I, in terms of like, cause one thing that I've been trying to figure out is like healing through food 
So did you find that like sodium made you retain more water, swell more? Like what, what was your diet like post-op for all of your surgery? Yeah. So, um, my doctor definitely made sure to tell me to eat as much protein as possible. And he's like, but I'm not worried about you because you're a bariatric patient and bariatric patients for some reason heal faster than because they, because we eat so much protein and we're used to that. Right. He's really, what'd you say? Our focus already is protein. Yes. Yep. So, and, and our bodies are kind of primed for the surgery because of that. You know, it's not, if you're three weeks before surgery and you're not eating a lot of protein, three weeks isn't going to do it, but we're, we've been doing this for years, you know? So, um, yeah, lots of protein. And then I know like I ate more carbs than I had, than I was pre-surgery, but they really want you to, to feed your body to heal. So, um, you know, again, that started a little bit of a slippery slope. So just be careful, just be mindful of that. But like eating carbs, because for me, for me personally, carbs are like, they're not the enemy, but like, absolutely. Do I limit them in comparison to like how I ate before? hundred (laughs) percent. But yeah, I already eat carbs. I don't think that's probably going to be an issue for me, but I just, yeah, I was curious about like. Cause my mom is like talking about, you know, all the things that she like, we could eat afterwards, but everything involves like so much added sodium. And I was like, Whoa, mom, we're going to have to like (laughs) work out like a different way of eating because I'm, I, I guess I don't really limit my sodium now. I don't really pay attention to it. Right. I don't really add a lot, but I just, it's like whatever's already in there, you know, or whatever the recipe calls for. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, I never really looked at my sodium, but I did notice like when I eat Chinese food that has a lot of sodium or sushi, which of course, same soy sauce, then I would definitely feel more swollen. Um, Yeah. But you know, like I ate a lot of saltines and I think when I said carbs, I think I meant like more like slider type carbs because I've always ate carbs, but like saltine crackers with cottage cheese that was a staple for me because again you're not super hungry but that cottage cheese is that protein but those crackers <laughs> they're so dry though i like they gave them to me after my gallbladder surgery and i was like i don't even want to get out of my mouth <laughs> i tried to eat them when i had the stomach flu while back i i had like three of them and i was like i am you are so dry, <laughs> but good to know. Like, yeah, the slider foods, I mean, they're always going to be easier to eat for anybody. Yeah. And especially when you aren't super hungry, Yes. but that's an easy way to get your calories in. And then that slippery slope. Yeah. So, the, um, did you do anything? I mean, other than, other than that, did you do anything different? post-surgery than you did prior to surgery for, for the plastic? Not really. Everything was food, but like just anything, like, did you change the way you did anything after surgery? Um, not really. I mean, I think it was just kind of like you get back into like a normal routine. Um, you know, of course during the recovery period, you can't, like, I couldn't sleep in my bed and I'm not a back sleeper. And that was really hard for me. So I, I remember not, I was like, I cannot wait to sleep on my side. And I think it was about 
five or six weeks okay. before I could sleep on my side. Um, but I mean, I did get back in my bed after that. I think I was in my recliner for about three weeks. But you know, body pillow, having a body pillow in bed, if you, yeah. you, know, if you sleep on your side, it kind of helps start you to turn. So that's a good tip. And, and also it makes you, you know, it feels like you're holding yourself in a little bit too, because the stitching yeah. and stuff. Yourself. Yeah. I sleep with one now. Um, and Steph, Steph is going to have at her house, I'm going to be using a, um, a wedge system. And then she also mm. has like the head of her bed comes up and a pregnancy okay. pillow. And she has a bunch of pillows, you know. So. I got I got the, the pregnancy pillow, the wedges, we got her the shower curtain, we got her her own sheets, we got the, the puppy pads, the heat pad, the body pillow, etc. <laughs> if we can't get you in the bed, I'm putting your ass on the couch. Yeah. yeah. And that's actually We'll, we'll talk about that mm -hmm. stuff. But like, yeah, that was my plan was like, if I can't make it up the stairs, because her bed is upstairs too. Yep. Did you, how did you handle stairs after, after surgery? Especially the stomach part. Yeah. I live in a ranch, so I don't have stairs. <laughs> Lucky. <laughs> yeah. I told her if it takes two hours and your mom behind you and me in front of you and we have to take 8,000 breaks, we'll do it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it depends on how high I am. Let's be real. If I am Okay, still maybe you're going to be on the couch the first night. Right, exactly. <laughs> I might. Because, um, yeah, I'm going to be at her house and she doesn't have a recliner. And my recliner is here. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to be at her house for uh, 10 days post-op. Okay. I'm back. Um, and then I figure, mm -hmm. I don't have a wedge pillow here, but I do have two different types of pregnancy pillows, like the full U-shape, and then I also have the J one. Yep. I figured, like, I'll just, like, pile that shit around me and, like, yes. rake it up to the 45 degrees and, like, tuck some pillows and see if I can sleep in the bed. But if I can't, I've got this. Yeah. Yeah, I've got my chair, you know, and then on top of that, I figure throughout the day... I'm going to want to sit in this chair during the day and then sleep in the bed at night if I can. Yep. Yeah. That's a good plan because let me tell you how bad your butt hurts from being oh in the chair. God. Don't even tell me. Her butt already hurts. It already hurts <laughs> when I sit for more than like 20 minutes. So <laughs> I'm sitting on one of these things right now. Yep. <laughs> yes. I can't. <laughs> I had so many pillows like i would situate them behind under my butt behind me just it hurts that's and you're and you're hunched over so your back and your butt that hurts more than the actual incisions right yeah it's the muscle pain afterwards of being in the position for so long yep when did they want you standing up straight because they told bex four days told me three days i need or three or four days I need to stand insane up that you need to be standing up straight they want me to be standing up as straight as possible. See, I wonder if it's different because you're having a 360, so they don't want the back. They want you to be straight. Yeah. Could be. Could be. But, yeah, I don't know. I'm just going to go at whatever my bo pace my body can take. Yep. Stand up as straight as it will let me without, like, you know, too much pain and swelling and and when Bex is yeah. on pain meds, she feels like she can do anything. And I would be like, sit your ass down. <laughs> yeah, be careful. Don't push yourself too much because you don't mm -hmm. want, it's going to be like, 
one step forward, two steps back. You know what I mean? You just take it, take it easy. Give yourself grace. You guys know grace, you know, grace and space. Yep. Uh, How was, okay. How was your first shower? So Bex can't shower for four days. Three days. Okay. Um, I was able to shower 24 hours after my surgery. Wow. And I felt like I was going to pass the F out. <laughs> okay. Like from the heat, from standing, from the movement, like what, what do you think what it was? I think it's a combination of being out of, out of the compression, like having nothing, um, the heat of the shower and just like looking at yourself and just, I, I don't know, I, you know, I have a shower seat, so yeah. I definitely was like, okay, I need to sit down. And then you get out and you get that, like, that flush feeling where you feel like you're going to, like, pass out. You get hot and sweaty and just like that. And that happened the first couple of days when I'd okay. stand up or when I, you know, change. So just be careful. Just take it easy. Yeah. I think going into this, my, my biggest fear, at least, is just the, simply the fact that, like, on a regular basis, like right now I have a migraine. I feel like shit today. Like I feel like shit. And I'm sitting here thinking about like, you're going to feel so much more like shit very soon. (laughs) And then like, I'm afraid of like, of like with the reactive hypoglycemia that I have with like, if I'm going to have a migraine, like what if something else piles on top of it, you know? And I just, I'm in my head a lot. I guess that's the point. I'm in my head a lot about the recovery. Yeah. So I love to hear from people like, what, how did you get through that part? The the mental part and the like anxiety and fear of like what could happen, you know? That's hard. It's the mental stuff. It's like, is this bleeding? Am I having, do I have an infection? Does this look right? That's the hardest part. So definitely having a responsive surgeon because I'm sure, you know, take a picture, email it. Is this okay? You know, they're like, that's fine. Um, But the mental aspect of it is definitely harder. Um, I can definitely tell you that a migraine is worse than the surgery. (laughs) Okay, good. Because I'm sitting here barely able to open my eyeballs and look at right now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it that's worse. The surgery, like I didn't really have that much pain. Maybe the first day or two, there was some pain, but like mobility, for, it's in, inactivity. Yes, it's okay. being down and not being able to do as much. You know, you feel like you can do it, just like Steph said, if you're on the medication. But then you're like, oh my god, I I'm so tired. I can't keep my eyes open now. You know, so just just know that. It's going to feel like forever, but quick at the same time. It's going to be like, when am I ever going to feel better and feel like, not better, but feel like myself again? It take it just takes time. And it's like little, little bits every day. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I feel pretty good. Yeah. How was it like waking up and seeing your body look so different? That is bizarre. It takes time to like reconcile what you see because you're so used to looking and feeling a certain way it does it looks foreign it almost looks like it doesn't look like you yeah it looks like someone else's body and like it took me a while in the shower to not lift my stomach up or lift yes i said that the other day i said i'm so i said this to my doctor my pcp i was like because she was like i'm so excited for you and i was like i'm excited to not have to 
pull this thing up to shave everything. She just started cracking up. She was like, yes. oh, I don't know that. And I was like, but that's what it is. Like, put deodorant underneath it. I'm excited yep. about that. Like, oh, my God. Yep. So you'll have phantom skin for a while. Yeah, you'll and and yeah, it's I know it's it sounds weird, but like yeah. you'll go and your balance will change too. Okay, that's good to know because we were talking um, earlier about like how your body changes after massive weight loss and how your balance changes and your posture changes, your positioning changes. Yep, same your thing. Yeah. Yep. So much to look forward to. It's going to be awesome. I'm so excited for you. She's like, I'm not ready, but I'm ready. I know. And I think that's the problem is that I know I'm ready. Like, and I was, I was telling somebody the other day, like, there's a lot of trauma attached to the loose skin. Yeah. And I'm about to lose that trauma. And what's, what's weird is like, there's a, there's, it's kind of like when you have weight loss surgery and there's like this mourning period. Yes. You're mourning that loss of who you were and the comfort that you had in the food and you know, all those things. And now you're about to go down a road where you, you have to lose that part. You have to let go of it. And like, I felt like I was letting go of like my victimhood when I had my surgery. Yep. And it was like, you're stepping out of your comfort zone and you're stepping into like this, this empowerment that you have finally, finally have control of your life again. And now this is a whole other like piece of that where I'm losing the last vestige of who that person was. Yeah. And letting go of the trauma. Like I, I've already like, I've told Steph, and I was like, all right, be prepared. They're going to take off the binder on that first pre-op appointment. And I'm just going to start sobbing. Like, it's just going to happen. <laughs> it's going to be Take videos. So you have. Oh, yeah. I'll be taking videos of everything. Yeah. Even parts she probably doesn't want videos of. <laughs> I want the video of that. This though. is so Bex so having an emotional breakdown over a popsicle. I mean, it happens. <laughs> It's helpful though if you if you do if you do decide to share it. It's helpful to people because they know I'm not alone. I'm not alone in feeling like this, and that's why I try to document so much of that process as possible. Because I was like, if I can help somebody see that this isn't as scary as the Facebook groups make it seem, yeah, <laughs> Facebook, yeah, seriously, yeah. And your your journey has been amazing to watch. Um, because you're like two years ahead of where I want to be. You know, you've had all those surgeries. You've had, you've done it. <laughs> and I'm like watching your recovery. I'm like, okay, all right. In a few years, Rebecca, we'll be there, you know? Yeah. It goes by really fast too. Can you believe it's been like 16 months since I first met you in person? Oh, so gosh. wild. That, yeah, you had, <laughs> that was right after you had your surgery. Yep. <laughs> gosh, that doesn't seem like it was that long ago. No. Community. Community is everything. It is. Because I know I know Bex is worried that like she'll be here. She'll have me and her mom. And her mom's a retired physician as well. Um, but like her husband started a new job and so she's not gonna be seeing her husband for like three weeks until she gets home. 
So yeah. I was like, well, we will call him every hour if we need to. We we you'll have me, you'll have your mom, and you'll have your community online. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You'll have, and you'll have FaceTime. You get to see him. Yep. I know. It's not. It's, it's, it's not. not the same. Yeah, it's not the same. And the thing is, it's like I did spend my BSG recovery away from him, and that was really hard. It was yeah. really hard, and this is going to be the harder than that recovery, you know. Yeah. And and then of course, you know, he doesn't get to see the results really, like in person, and like witness that for a while. So. Yeah. yeah. You can do hard things, though. You've done a lot of hard things. This is this is just another step in that journey of doing hard things. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I think that's this surgery has proved that we can do hard things. Yeah. Like absolutely. having BSG in the first place. Like absolutely. That. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Well, on that note, we will wrap it up, and we always ask this question. If there is one big thing that you would want to tell someone considering weight loss surgery before they were to get it, what would it be? Don't second guess yourself. It's, it's not, I mean, it is a big deal, but it's not as much of a big deal as you think. And the stress and the torture that you're putting yourself through in like mulling over whether or not to do it is not worth it. It's worth investing in yourself and using the best tool available to, you know, fight this disease that, you know, you're going to have to fight it no matter what, why not use the best tool possible? Right. So that would be my advice not to don't second guess yourself. You know, you're worth it. And doesn't matter what age you are it doesn't matter any of that does not matter you can do it definitely love it thank you Steph so much for coming on and sharing your story not only with your weight loss but also your plastics we appreciate you being here and just thank you so much um everyone go check out her page metamorphosis Steph on Instagram such a lovely 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 person so glad I got to meet her in person hope to get to see you again soon yes yes all right well have a wonderful night and we will talk soon thank you guys so much bye-bye thank you for joining r2dp road to discovery podcast ending the stigma of weight loss surgery. Please join us next time for our next podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, hit that follow button and that bell to receive notifications when we upload our next and leave us your feedback. We'd love to hear from you. Also, if you're interested in supporting us, you can become a Patreon and we do have that link in our bios on our Instagram and we will also share that with you it's just patreon.com slash r2dp there's some special perks in there that you might see Um, there's different tier levels and each tier has its certain perks you will get a exclusive sticker if you sign up for the first tier you will also get to hear the podcast two days before everyone else and the perks go on from there so again thank you all for joining us and we'll see you next time 
Bye, R2D peers.